Well, hello there, and welcome to the Rose Woman Pod. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host. Every week we talk about something that might loosen us up a little bit, create more freedom, more wholeness, more joy, more inquiry, curiosity in the world. And this week is no exception because we're talking with an amazing woman, Eleven, on being non-binary. Not one, not the other. Binary describes a system in which there are only two possible values. In coding, for example, that's zeros and ones. Uh, The term kind of refers to any encoding system in which there are exactly two possible states. An on-off switch would be an example of this. Pregnant, not pregnant would be an example of a binary situation. And although some computer code is binary, the newest code is not. It's quantum. It computes in qubits. So we know that there's more there than than these on-off situations. Many things that seem binary are often not, but it helps us simplify the world, like black and white thinking, for example. You think it's, it's either this or that, but in fact, there's 500 shades of gray and subtleties and all kinds of things in most situations. Red state, blue state thinking is another example of that. It misrepresents the underlying truth that all of our states are purple, and most of them hover somewhere on this side or that side of the halfway mark. We're much more alike than different. And with gender and sexuality, it is definitely not a zero and one situation. We all know masculine women and feminine men, as well as those that justify categorization. Some people aren't just one or the other. They go back and forth. And that is kind of exciting. So before we get into our guest today, I want to talk a little bit about what is biological sex anyway, because for me, when I first started researching this to understand it more, I didn't know. So all fetuses begin structurally as girls. The presence of the Y chromosome, and in a particular a section of the Y chromosome, a gene called SRY, tells the fetus to develop into a boy. Before differentiation, all fetuses have what's called bipotential gonads. In boys, those become testes, and in girls, they become ovaries. So in an XY, or a boy fetus, strong testes development needs a high activity of another gene called SOX9. But without SOX9, and even with the XY chromosome, testes will not develop. And if high levels of SOX9 enhancers are present, even an XX, or a girl baby, will develop testes. Without any SOX9 enhancers, boy babies develop ovaries. So there are scientifically many combinations of female and male parts, chromosomes, and brain chemistry, and 76 kinds of documented intersex babies. I think I've said 72 in prior podcasts, so 76 is the actual number so far. Another 1% have some combination of male and female sexual chromosomes and are parts at birth, and these children are called intersex. Up until relatively recently, like in the 70s or 80s, doctors had to make a decision about an intersex child's gender assignment before the child left the hospital, often doing surgical modifications and often without a parent's consent. So another thing that happens in utero, there's a gender-determining element that includes a wash of hormones that determines a child's brain chemistry and gender identity. So sometimes a child with girls' parts will have a male hormone wash and vice versa, And when they don't align, there is androgyny or even transgender intention. In some Native American traditions, the people who exhibit the qualities of both gender are cherished. They're called bordash, 
or more recently, Two-Spirit. These people are considered a shamanic gateway, playing a unique role in the culture of bridging the genders, a role that is valued across many indigenous cultures on the globe. To native Hawaiians and Tahitians, Mahu is an intermediate state between a man and a woman, or a person of indeterminate gender. Dine Native Americans acknowledge a spectrum of four genders, feminine woman, masculine woman, feminine man, masculine man. And the term third gender has also been used to describe the hijras of India who have gained legal identity. The fa-a-fa-fi-ne of Polynesia are another. So it's around the world. It's not a uniquely modern thing, and nor is it unusual. So when a child is born with everything aligning, they're called gender congruent, and that means they look and feel and have the internal organs that are of the same gender. Congruent. Fitting. So cisgender girls will still have a wide variety of where they sit on the continuum of masculinity or femininity, same with cisgender boys, but those are arbitrary terms. In our culture, the masculine pole has been referred to as strength and the feminine pole as receptivity, and we all have those in half and half in ourselves. So we want our boys to be uber-nurturing toward dolls and pets and our girls to climb trees and claw their way through a tunnel. We should accept both of those as celebrations of the individual's identity, not of a gender expectation. But with all of that said, we have a situation in the West where there's not a lot of celebration of the non-binary and it can make people feel really uncomfortable and weird. So now we have activism around that. Like everything else, that involves a change in perception in the culture and a true ability to see the beautiful, unique individual in front of you for who they are and not try to categorize them or simplify them for your own comfort, not try to like make them fit into a pattern that suits your religious belief or your identity, but to see the genuine, unique being right in front of you. That requires a little bit of activism because we want to respect life in all of its forms. So non-binary is a term that's been used recently to describe people who feel that their gender can't be defined within the margins of the zero and one within the male-female binary. So they understand that it goes a little bit of a way uh, beyond simply identifying as man or woman, and they invite you into their new reality. And today I get to talk with Eleven. Eleven is a woman that I met in Los Angeles when she was a she, and now they are a they. Eleven is a young person who blends both genders. She's a two-spirited mystic, shapeshifter, and a way-shower, as she expresses it, who is here on a mission to initiate other souls back home to that which they already are, pure love and perfect cosmic duality. Their ancestral background spans across the globe, Native American and Chinese, and they intuitively blend sacred ritual practices from indigenous tribes with ancient rites of passage into their essence. So please welcome this beautiful being, Eleven, to tell you her story. After she speaks, I'll have another segment on how you might take a turn in your own behavior to respect and be an inquiry about the gender fluidity of people in your life. I was fascinated. You had such an attractive force to you when I met you in Venice and, you know, just so much charisma and power and you've been on such a beautiful journey. So I'm really happy to get the chance to uh, hear hear more of your story and then share some of your ideas on embracing 
authenticity, gender, sexuality, and what's up in the world with all of that stuff. So maybe we could start with just some term definition, gender versus sexuality for people who are absolutely new to it. How do you see that? Uh, How do I feel that is what I'm asking more these days, just learning to feel in my body, um, coming from a place of the infinite, right? So I think for me, sexuality has always been so fluid ever since I was very young. Uh, I just always found myself being such a lover of people. And I grew up in a very conservative Christian home, so that wasn't always affirmed. And so my journey has been unique because I've just kind of been a boundary pusher and sacred rebel in that. So I think sexuality is a large topic, of course, only always. Then gender is an even larger one. And so I've you've gotten to see kind of very close by this transformation, this metamorphosis happen. And it was coming through basically when we were neighbors in Venice. And it started just coming through and I just started realizing, wait, what is gender? What does that mean? Like I know that we have this beautiful physical body of bone and blood but I also know that this is also an illusion in a way, right? It's a filter. It's a soul suit. And um, so I just started asking questions. It really started with inquiry and I'm still in that. And I always like to say that I'm a student of the human curriculum. I think that we are all infinite beings that are always in flux and learning and understanding more and more. And I don't know if there is absolutes, And that feels really good to just admit that, you know, I'm in flux. And so tomorrow I could change my mind. Right now I'm doing what feels right and honest and realizing that it's all just energy. Yeah, I I love the idea of the soul suit Uh, and and that there's something in the cultural frame that wants to put you in one place or the other, one sexual orientation or one one gender orientation, when scientifically we know that that is false, that there's infinite varieties of intersex in all kinds of ways. But the, but when you break out of this construct of the binary, it kind of shakes things up for people. So I would love to know sort of the process you went through from sensing this or feeling it in your body to making the decision to publicly identify this way and to change some of the uh, superficial identifiers like your hair and other things like that. Even some of the the costuming that you were doing where you were role-playing half and half as you were going through the exploration was gorgeous and fascinating. So yeah, what happened? What happened for you as you woke up to this? Mm. Well, thank you for saying that first and foremost. Uh, it's so nice to be affirmed because especially from someone that I look up to a lot, just as a beautiful, strong archetype of a I mean, obviously your son is a friend of mine, so I see you as like a second mother. I'm like, oh, thank you. It's nice to be affirmed. So I I revel in that. I think for me, I started just becoming quite intrigued by other beings that were quite balanced in their energies. And I always have been. I started kind of exploring through dating in that realm and dating more androgynous beings in my early 20s and and then I think I think we're all just very attract, attracted to androgyny, right? I think that that's kind of goes without saying. A lot of us are, not everybody. I don't want to generalize. But I think I just started becoming intrigued. And then I started asking myself, well, why? So I kind of doing like gestalt type things in my journal. And I was going, well, why? Like, what is it about that? Why am I so entranced by some of these beings? Is it that I want to 
be with them or do I want to just be that because they represent liberation and freedom because they are just like, screw that middle finger to the world. And I started realizing that was more true. I was like, I actually just am so afraid because I've stepped into this full goddess archetype being in the beauty industry for a long time and just getting affirmed, you know, for the outside exterior and the ornamental of it. And I was just tired. I was tired and I just didn't want to have to uphold that anymore. And I just realized I was like, okay, I actually think I might be stepping into, you know, non-binary was the language that actually came first. And so I had other friends that were identifying or, you know, speaking to that. And I started meeting with them and just having conversations. And then I started working with my therapist and I was in a partnership at the time actually with a woman and it wasn't landing at all. In fact, it was excruciating. If I'm going to be super honest, it was excruciating because it wasn't, it was like being affirmed by people that had walked that path. And then the others were confused, conflicted, you know, the idea of this archetype Lynette Sine that I had built, you know, for people that I was in business with, my family and my intimate partnerships. It was a grieving period and including myself, right? I was grieving as well because I was going, I don't know if this is honest anymore. Just one thing to like complete this thought. I I was raised by magician parents. And so my dad always affirmed alter egos. He's built alter egos that are very successful and show up in the world. So in my playful sort of way, I kind of just started, you know, messing with that and being like, okay, well, this is an alter ego that makes me feel honest. So like, fine, if I'm just going to put it in that category for whatever makes you feel comfortable, you guys, I've been an inquiry around a lot of this and it's been actually this weekend, 11 will be one year old, like meaning that I've been walking in the world as 11. And some people call me L. My la- my name, previous name was Lynette. So L, you know, just people called me L anyway. So sometimes that makes people feel, and it's not my job to make people feel comfortable. I'm learning, of course. And I also recognize that there's grace for people in their process as well. So some of my friends are and family are like, L feels good. I'm like, okay, great. You know, L feels good for me too. I'm fine with that. Um, I do introduce myself as 11 because it's a fun pattern interrupt and I love it. Having a good time. Uh, But yeah, that's kind of where it all started to unravel. So so you're going through this process and you're exploring it. I love this idea that are you attracted to uh, non-binary or androgyny and others. Like I find that people who balance masculine and feminine po- energies in their bodies are super attractive because they feel safer. They're like strong enough to hold their identity and soft enough to be receptive with or without the, the costumey aspects. But when you decided to do this, one of the things that was most moving is that you actually involved your community. It wasn't like an isolated thing. You said, I'm going to make this and crafted a whole ceremony and ritual around it. And I, what was that like? What was that about? How did you approach people? And, and what was their general reaction? That I hadn't seen anyone do this specific sort of ask, right? My birthday was coming up. My birthday's on the 11th of February. So I knew that this trend, I saw it in a dream. Actually, that's, that's the truth. I saw it in a dream. I saw this vision of me in a mandala of flowers like this and there was people surrounding me in my dream. I was live streaming it. And I'm just a provocateur. I love to share the process. I've got nothing to hide. So I'm like, I've just always been kind of that way. And then I was living in a community home with some people in Venice. And I just, we were, we became family. And so we're a group of artists that kind of came together. 
and we're created our little bubble during this unique time that we're finding ourselves in. And I leaned in because there were a few of them that had changed into a different name. Now they hadn't stepped into an entirely new, you know, frequency of, you know, I had a gender reveal party to say I wasn't doing the gender thing. So it's kind of like a fun, I had like rainbow flower petals. <laughs> You're like a non-gender reveal party? Exactly. An ungender reveal party. Okay. Um, so I hadn't never necessarily seen that done, but I had seen all these things with, you know, when you're pregnant and then people have a gender reveal party. So I was like, I want to just fuck with everyone. <laughs> just like say I'm doing the opposite. I saw a funny meme, by the way, where it's like the gender reveal just says, it's a baby. Right. <laughs> like they'll tell yeah. you what okay. they want to show up in the world <laughs> as. And we're going to, we're seeing more and more of that. So I, you know, again, and I just smile and I just got pictures in my phone yesterday from a family member, you know, saying, oh, they're having a girl. And I was like, sure. You know, and I just smile because people are in their process and I celebrate it all. Okay. So you had an ungender reveal and then um, you went and spoke to your community or, yeah, keep going. Keep telling that story. I love that. Yeah. So I just said, hey guys, this is what's coming through. This is what I'd like to do. Are you guys down to help me create a ceremony of sorts. And I had such an overwhelming response of positivity and love. And uh, they held me through that. I literally felt like Neo in the Matrix coming out of that little pod, you know, because it was so many initiations, right? Like my divorce had been like was being finalized that year. I was, you know, completing a relationship while, meaning because I had been separated from my husband for many years, but the divorce was finally finalizing. My my same-sex partnership was completing, same time. So I was like going through many deaths, many, many deaths. I was shaving my head, had never sh shaved my head. So I'm just a, I don't know why I do these things. <laughs> I'm like, let's just go for it. And so I became, I really talk about the metamorphosis often because it was like, I went into this chrysalis stage and I became nothing. And I was in a deep process of medicine work and interpersonal awareness of, you know, so many different trauma patterns and all. So I just kind of go for the gusto. And I was like, let me just burn all of this down. And like a phoenix, I want to rise from the ashes and come from a space of a level ground to where then I can reinvent myself. Because I had been a very public figure online just doing, you know, digital media, YouTube and beauty stuff. And I just was like bored of it. And so I was like, let me just burn it down from scratch and then start to rebuild because that's like fertile soil to me. When, when you're saying burning it down, the other thing that comes to mind is it's almost like a returning to an infant state, like an innocence, that it's not even destruction as much as a stripping away and going like totally back to before I had an imprint, who was I? And I, I'll share some of the pictures with your permission of this ceremony, because this idea that we don't have to handle and hold our transitions alone, but that if you put it out there and say, could you help me mark this? That there are always like loving people who are ready to say, absolutely. People want that for themselves too. Like in the, who wants to grieve alone? Who wants to, you know, enter into the nihilism of rebirth without being held in some way? I love it. Absolutely. The other thing that I was wondering in your, the way you even hold yourself now, I feel like you treat identity as a process. Like there's nothing, you, you don't go from one thing to becoming another, but it's like a constant process of keeping an inquiry. Who am I today? What's happening today? So uh, we, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we could just give ourselves permission, one of the quotes that I reference often is from 
Alice in Wonderland. And she says, I knew who I was this morning, but I've changed a few times since then. So I think people really love the safety of boxes and labels and all these things. And so I'm in the awareness that non-binary or now my awareness of being a two-spirit as I get deeper into my native heritage and indigenous background, I recognize that we have created more labels to disintegrate labels. And so that's kind of the cosmic joke of it all. We're getting stuck in language. You're right. It is coming back into this infinite space. And so I recognize, though, that in this radical act, it's allowing people permission. And that's, I think, all that we ever want, right, is just to be permission to just trial and error and just try it out and see what happens. And if you look at a lot of the archetypes in our world that are seen as some of the greatest artists of all time, how many times have they shown up as one thing and then shifted? And, you know, it's really you know, a beautiful thing to watch people in their process. So that's why I love to share. Yeah. That, and you, you started out by saying, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling into it. So if someone's beginning a journey of finding an authentic self in the moment, what are some techniques that you use to feel that or to notice that in yourself? I, and I know that you guys can't see the, the visuals here, but I close my eyes a lot. And so I remove that sense because I tend to be a lot in my mind. And so just removing that alone, you just start to hear your own voice process. And then who is that voice? So to find the you behind the you, quit looking at the avatar, the outside filter, the skin suit, this beautiful body that you're in, and just close your eyes and start listening to what's coming through. And whether that be, you know, actually just verbally processing, I'm a huge verbal processor, or my journal is also my safe space. So I just let my hand go and I journal it out and then I reference back and I see what's coming through. And I know that that spirit channeling through me, the avatar of, you know, what once was called Lynette Sine, now is called Eleven, but it's all just spirit. And so when we can see it all and trust it all, there's so much more peace and harmony in my experience. I love that. I then what happens for me and is that sometimes I'll see that and then there'll be an editorial filter that goes, don't make that change. You're just rocking the boat. Everything's going pretty well right now. Why don't you just stay where you're at and like take a deep breath and it'll and this impulse to change or follow that vision will pass. And I will recognize that resistance as fear. And then I I wonder are those fears justified? So maybe can you share what happened for you in your familial and social relationships, the range of responses that you got and so how and how you handle those when you shave your head and change your name and start identifying in a new way and sharing this idea that you're a fluid process, not a fixed identity. Um, how did people respond to you? Yeah, I think it was a varied, it continues to be varied. I think I can tell the people that are very triggered are still deeply in their process. Hmm. It's kind of, I get to learn to manage my own expectations of who I'm speaking to. I'm learning that more and more. And it's easier to do with friends than it is to do with family, I'm finding, because that idea to be accepted by my parents and my immediate family is deep, right? It's a genetic coding thing. It goes really deep. Whereas with friends, I'm like, well, I mean, you know, the people that are kind of triggered, I've lost a few people along the way and that's okay. And I've just been like, I recognize this is not an easy process because I'm triggering the identity alchemy in everyone else as I'm stepping into this. So I've just continued. I got me. That's what I know. So every day 
This is what I say to people. How do you wake up every day and know that you got you? So a lot of tools that I use are speaking to myself in the mirror. So connecting with my own eye gaze, again, recognizing, I say it again, the you behind the you, not the story of Christine or Eleven or whoever's out there listening. Like that's the story and it's a beautiful one and it's an important one. It's not to take away, but who is the you behind the you, right? Like just the self with a capital S, right? We're source energy and we are spirits living in a human experience not the other way around. And I think we get really lost in, I think the stories, it's easy to do, you know, we're going through a really deep upheaval right now. And so there's, you know, of course, a tenderness that gets to happen, but also just an awareness that needs to come online, that gets to come online, that is coming further online right now. And it's exciting and it's uh, a deep process. And I feel so humbled. So just thank you for, I just want to again say thank you for giving me the opportunity to exercise just what's been coming through because it feels really, it feels so nice to share. It's beautiful. I'm, I love it that you're doing it. Let's, I want to go back to this piece of like when someone else is triggered, like triggering the identity alchemy in the other person, I think is what you said. So what is it? Why do people care when they, when they come to you and say, I just can't get on board, Al? Because I can't say eleven, you know. When they, what is happening? What is your theory on what's triggering people? They're same stories, right? So, like, I'm gonna share. A, I won't name names, but there was a being that said, you know, I feel really triggered by the name eleven. And I said, okay, why? And they said, well, I'm Jewish, and you know, the Holocaust, and you know, people were being numbered, and and I just, you know, find this to be. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Wow, you know, like. I hear you. That's actually really interesting. I'm not going to not go by 11. So like I was born with 11 toes. Like this number is actually very important to me for a variety of reasons. But you're making your story and your trauma kind of about me, which it's not. So I hear you and thank you for sharing, but that's really not my stuff to carry. So, you know, so there's a variety of reasons. And that was actually a really fascinating one to hear. Mostly people love it. So it's it's the rare it's the rarity that do, that don't. But I did have a friend recently go. You know, he was still calling me Lynn. He's like, "Hey, Lynn, how's it going?" Because that's what my good friends used to call me. And I was like, "Hey, yeah, no one really calls me that anymore." But I mean, you know, you can call me L. And he was like, "Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, it's just so interesting." He hadn't seen me in years, so I'm just learning to just. I'm not easily offended. I wouldn't be doing this if I was. So you know, I'm like, I'm dancing the line between having my own boundaries not needing to ask for permission and also not trying to accommodate and be a doormat for people. And so it's a really interesting choreography, Christine. <laughs> I'm learning. It's a sweet, it's like very compassionate, actually. It's like, oh, that's so sweet. Thanks for sharing your story. And also this is what I need. What about your parents? That piece is like, I mean, you said they were magicians, but you also said you had a Christian upbringing. And I wonder, you know, how does that, how's that hanging? Or how, how are they feeling about that? How are you holding them more importantly? Like, uh, you know, there's a sense sometimes of like, you know, they're my family. I forgive them. I'm just with them and and wherever they are in their process, we're bound, we're bonded. But how, how is it for you? Uh, My dad actually passed away not too long ago. He passed away in August. So I had already been 11 for, I don't know, a few months, but that was a deep process to kind of share with him. I was like, Hey dad, like I'm taking this alter ego thing to another level we have the Magi codes. So he and I would look eye to eye. And again, we got beyond the stories of who we were and we understood archetypal awareness in story. So I think he and I understood each other in a way that there are no words. 
you know, I did see some YouTube watch history that he was watching, like kids can't choose their gender type thing. <laughs> so like, I think the 11 thing was the palatable. <laughs> that was fine. But then like the whole, I'm now actually saying I'm not a genderless being. I mean, that's a very, for baby boomers, for people that are kind of, again, I have so much to share on that. But uh, my mom, we don't really, it's so challenging. So we don't talk about it a lot. I do my best to kind of share from my process, but there isn't a lot of questioning. So I don't feel safe to really explore through that because it doesn't feel like a safe space. So I've just, again, managed my own expectations. I show up how I show up in my life and I don't really need to try and continue to explain myself, especially when there's not inquiry. So it just feels like many things, but we've gotten to a place of just coexisting and loving each other and not really needing to understand each other fully. There's a piece in this, you, the sacred rebel, the trickster, the magic codes. There's a role of that in the society by itself. Like just putting yourself in that position where your family or your friends don't know what to say or don't know what to ask is, is um, a provocative role throughout history. How did you get to be so strong? How did you get to be so courageous and brave? Oh, man, we have a history of a lot of family trauma. That's what I'll say. I was built for it. And I'm grateful in some moments and others. It's excruciating. I'm like, spirit, I just need a break. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's a, been a journey. That's what I'll say. And the medicine work played a big role for you also. Yes. Yeah. To anyone that's listening that I think we all have complex trauma <laughs> is the truth. Uh, we're kind of now able to say that and not feel shame around it and just realizing we all have stuff. And um, mine is very complex. It's There's layers and layers. And so I really recommend, yes, therapy. Yes, you know, talk therapy. But I also recommend somatic. So that's why when you asked me this to begin with, I said, I feel because I need to feel from here, from my body, put my hands over my heart a lot and just like try and come to a resting nervous, uh, my, my nervous system to a resting state of peace, right? And so I think um, I really just recommend going layers deeper as your body allows. And so if you do have inquiry around the medicine path, it's already begun. So it comes from that little niggling feeling in your system where you're like, what is this? People are talking about this and I've seen you know, people talking about it, whether it's online or wherever. That's where it began for me. And then I just at, reached a point where I, I was at the end of my rope and I felt the rug was pulled from under me. I couldn't see up from down, left from right. And that's when I dove in because I was like, at this point, I already don't feel alive and I might as well just go to where I, you know, if this is helping a lot of people through some pretty deep stuff, I'm down to try at this point. And I'm so grateful for that trust that I had in myself and that I continue down this path. It's n it's never complete in my experience. I think it's the whole market basket. The Sometimes the medicine practices give us a reference point for pure joy, for how it could feel if you weren't walking around as a big ball of anxiety. It can give you a rootedness and a connection to the spirits of plants and trees and the world and your identity beyond the identity. It can give you the space, depending on the medicine, to look at a trauma in a way that you're not in fear or reactivity, so you can actually process and integrate it. There are so many blessings. Um, the idea of medicine is that you take it and you get better and you don't need it anymore. And so I really like to also 
couple it with cognitive behavioral therapy, with somatic experiencing, with um, all, all the other things that are sort of longer practices and uh, so that it doesn't turn into kind of a hedonic treadmill of ceremony. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for speaking to that. I'm glad you spoke to the, one of the questions I had was the name. So the toes and it's kind of like, Al, is there other meanings to 11? Yeah. So I was born on February 11th. Right. right. So I was coming through the canal at the, on the 11th. And then I am an Aquarius, which is the 11th Zodiac. Uh, if you know anything about birth charts, I have my North node in my 11th house, which is basically just how I'm supposed to be showing up in the world. So it just as all these fun little synchronicities, but the main one being, I came through with 11 toes on my uh, on my left foot. I have six toes and I hid my whole life literally until I was, um, this is a new thing. So this is within the last couple years that I just started, you know, and my last partner, actually, the woman that I dated really helped me through that. Uh, and it was so beautiful. You know, the idea that you took the thing that you hid that was kind of like a perceived flaw and you made that into uh, like a mascot kind of thing or an emblem is so beautiful to me. You just you got to run with it. And I projected onto it that it was like one in one, the two spirit component. Exactly. Well, that definitely has something to do with it. Yeah. Master number. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been, it's been so fun to just kind of reclaim. I'm not kidding, Christine. I literally used to have so many tabs open in my brain because I would watch people's. I'm also, you know, raised and I do magic. So I'm always looking at the other hand. So what that did is produced a really weird thing in me where I would watch people's eyes. So if I had barefoot feet, like at the beach or at a pool or wherever, I would watch to make sure people weren't looking at my left foot and I would just be constantly thinking, okay, let me position my body this way. So finally someone said to me, who would you be if you weren't thinking of that? Like, this is awesome. You were born with 11 toes. Are you kidding me? You're a glitch in the matrix kind of thing. And it took me to, you know, to re-alchemize and re-do the story. And once I did, I was free. And then it became, yeah, like this whole tunnel of like, now it's a children's book that I'm channeling and called Twinkle Toes. And now it's, you know, it's it's given me this really interesting inspiration uh, to find other glitches in the matrix. You know, anybody that has any sort of something different, right? You're born different are my people. I love them. I'm like, yes, you get it. Even if it's something so subtle. Uh, I saw a guy actually yesterday, my server at the restaurant had um, kind of like, or he had a white eyebrow, like normal color, but then like his left eyebrow was all white. And I just remember thinking, that's so cool. So we had a whole conversation. So it's just stuff like that. Like, it's just interesting. Whatever it is about you that makes you unique, that gives you your, what did you call it? A little glitch in the matrix. It's, uh, you know, your sparkle does. So shine that out. That's a great message. I have a young friend. She's 16. And she's exploring her gender and she's not getting a lot of receptivity from her family. And she's exploring her sexual orientation. And there's a, there's a lot of complexity in it for her parents. Mm. You know, that basically they can't tell what, she, what is trauma patterning from having been sexually molested. What is trauma patterning from the pain of embodiment as a female you know, just like wanting to get out of all of the oppressive things that are at work in the culture for that. And what is her own true calling, you know, her own soul's cry. And they've been to multiple therapists and they each have a different opinion, you know, about how a family should approach this inquiry into self by a young person coming of age. 
And uh, what, what's your sort of take on that? Do you think someone in emerging identity knows enough? Or like, what's the sort of age of self-awareness on these kinds of questions? Yeah, this is something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And a couple things come to mind. And this came through very strong in some deep meditation and just contemplation was to just trust it all. Spirit is manifesting itself in very unique ways. And we get to trust and recognize that this is a part of a large pendulum swing. So there's that. So that requires... Ooh, a lot of patience. Uh, I would say with the therapist, one thing that really helped me was I had been working with my therapist for a while, like over, you know, we had already built that trust, right? We were already through that threshold and we had been working together for a while. However, when 11 started coming through, which I say is a walk-in, it was like a full-on walk-in, that's where like the cap for growth, like there was a cap for growth. And so I said, hey, I actually think I might need to move to a therapist that has walked this path. And so I transitioned into working with somebody that did identify as non-binary and who was trauma-informed, right? So that helped me a lot because I felt seen, I felt understood. And a quote that I say all the time is, you cannot lead anyone anywhere that you yourself have not gone. You can try. So that's when it becomes opinions. And that's where I get scared is by different people's opinions because they're running it, again, no matter what, we're running it through our own filter and stories. And you can do your best to hold that non-dual space. You can do your best. But if you haven't walked it, it's very challenging to speak to it. It's great advice. That is great advice. Finding that person might be challenging, so just ask, ask questions. But I'm very impressed that you found the exact right person to help you. So you have one wish for the world. You have one thing you want to communicate to them. Uh, what would it be? I would say just continue to like the self-inquiry journey. Just stay in that space, that curious, childlike awe and wonder. When we can stay there, that is where the magic lies. So I think just exploring, you know, I've I've kind of been this little renegade, so I'll say it because I think it's important. If you have always been this woman that's like, I identify as a straight white woman from Nebraska, whatever, right? Fill in the blanks. Just start going, okay, so what would it look like if I was, I don't know, maybe there is an interest in me to you know, explore what, I mean, obviously within reason, I'm not trying to like wreck marriages here, but I'm just saying like, why do we do these things? Why do we just automatically say, this is what it is. This is how we have to show up. So I am, you know, again, a trigger because a lot of people are frustrated that I just like to explore outside of, you know, the, I like the fringe. I like asking questions. And um, I think if you have always identified as one thing, just start asking yourself, why? Does it make you feel safe? Is it because your family wanted you to do that? Like, why? And what would it look like to be the pattern interrupt in your, into your own life and just kind of try something a little different? There's so much in that space of mystery that you can find about yourself. And everyone is inspired by people that, you know, explore outside of societal norms. So I think, yeah, I, I would say just explore and trust yourself. Trust yourself. Uh, it's okay to change your mind, you know, but the trial and error is a beautiful process. Yeah, you don't have to be consistent. Yeah. Like, it, and then try it on and be like, okay, this doesn't actually, it doesn't feel right. 
And then, of course, if you're holding space for others, you know, because there's a lot of mothers listening out there, I would just say, ask questions. And it goes back to that inquiry, asking questions. So why is that coming, you know, up for you? What is it about, you know, women that you're interested in to children that are questioning their sexual identity? Or what is it about men if you have a son, you know, again, or if they're gender questions? Interesting, you know, tell me more and allowing space for your children, for your family members, friends, or whatever, just to explore that. That's what people want is just a space to kind of discuss and workshop different things. And I think that it's it's allowing me to see how I want to show up for others in my life too. And maybe not needing to understand and just being like, okay, how, uh, how, how interesting is that? <laughs> Fascinating. I was speaking with an amazing artist the other day, Beatrix Ost. She's 82 years old. And she has a piece of jewelry that she's made that says practicing silence. And she goes to parties wearing this brooch. And she wants to be around other people. But basically by wearing this, all she's doing is listening, is basically being an inquiry, like you're saying, and giving this incredible spaciousness just to hear people's stories. And you don't have to ask clever questions or good questions. Like you're saying, you can just say, tell me more. What does it feel like in your body? Tell me about that, what, about what interests you. That practice would change the world. If you just allowed space for the people you care about to tell their stories and be themselves, it's beautiful. Absolutely. And then just recognizing too, it's God speaking to God to understand itself more. <laughs> if you see the divinity in every single pair of eyes outside of your own, recognize, right? That's when the trust yeah, comes in because totally. you're going, oh, spirit is manifesting itself in a unique way that's completely different than me, but I can trust that this is all in its perfect order. And that can be very, you know, that's a deep space to get to. But Richard Rudd from the Gene Keys talks a lot about that. That's given me a lot of permission to just, he goes, trust everything, trust your sexuality, trust your inquiry, trust, you know, and I'm like, yes, 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 yes. There's, um, I'm going to, can I, just as a closing story, can I tell you about the time that I shaved my head? Please. I would love to hear. So I was really trying to, at that time, I was very identified as blonde, female, middle-aged, white woman, you know, sort of upper middle class. And my husband really liked it. And we had a falling out. I was taking care of him, long cancer caregiving, and then mm. falling out. And I was like, you know what? I just want to be me, like a stripped down, powerful, androgynous, as ugly as possible was my idea at the time. So I shave my head. And then I go on like Craigslist platonic to try and find somebody to go see music with me. And this seven foot tall man meets me for dinner and we start uh, talking and we talk for three and a half hours. And 10 years later, he's my partner. He got to know me at the time when I was trying to be as absent all tra traditional sexuality signals when I was just my rawest self. And in my rawest self, he fell in love with me. And now I can go like, you know, extensions or, you know, a cute little pixie. He doesn't give a shit because I'm me. And it was a soulmate kind of mating, not a, I'm falling in love with your superficial representations. I was very surprised by stepping into the depth of that. Wow. That is such a cool story. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so cool. I love that. I resonate a lot with that happening with one of my partners right now too, because he just fully sees me and uh, is here to celebrate me and all of my curiosities for still exploring with 
multiple beings and just being like, cool, we're just going to walk together. It's just artists walking together. And that's great. All right. Go out, everybody. Be artist of your own life. <laughs> be brave. Yes. We love you. We love you. I love you. Thank you so much, Eleven. Thank you. Thank you. We have a lot to learn about the variations that people bring into their embodiment. I see a world where we respect each person's unique expression of creation by loving them exactly as they are and respecting them exactly as they are. So if it makes you uncomfortable, just know that even if you don't understand non-binary or gender fluidity, it's okay, but you still have a sort of ethical and moral obligation, as we all do, to respect them and to respect their experience. So there are some simple ways you can do this. You can use the name a person asks you to use. Uh, One article I read says, don't go and ask them what their name used to be if they've changed their name. This is a choice that they're making to become their most essential self. So if you want to use their old name, it might not reflect their gender identity. So just respect the choice they're making. You often can't tell whether a person is binary or non-binary by looking at them. So you, you should probably just use the pronouns or the things that a person requests you to use. So if they say I'm a she or a he or a they, then just respect them and use it. Honor them in that way. Don't try to put them in your categories. If you don't know what pronouns people are using, then ask them what they prefer. As Eleven said, be curious. Just be curious. Just be an inquiry about what it means to them. Uh, Talk to people to learn about who they are, what's driving them, what makes them feel safe and accepted. And if you're like me, marvel at the bravery that it takes to step out and be something authentic and different. To all of your most personal, deepest expression to stepping out of the programming that is a costume that we put on because culture told us there was only one way to be, to your freedom and to the whatever perfect balance of masculine and feminine lives inside of you and those you love. Okay. Come find me, the.rose.woman. Let me know what you think. Or at rosebudwoman, rosewoman.com for my intimate wellness company. We are here to change all the unhelpful stories and create more freedom in the body for every person born on planet Earth. So have a wonderful day being you.